0: It's our custom in Troy to recite this verse of scripture together as we approach the word of God. If you'll join me, it's from first Peter chapter one, verses 24 and 25. Is it up? There we are. Let's all say it together. Ready? All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Father, thank you in these unstable times that we have your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's a rock that we can stand on. It's a light that can guide us. It's a guardrail that protects us. In every way, Father, we say we're grateful for your unshakable kingdom and the proclamation that emits from your glorious throne in Zion. And the earth trembles, Father, at your word. Lord, we're so grateful that we live in a country where we don't have any soldiers breaking in here telling us what we can and can't do. We want to pause and say thank you for those freedoms. Lord, so many of our brothers and sisters don't enjoy these freedoms, and we don't take it for granted. We say thank you. And Lord, preserve your gospel so that it can have freedom to go from the, to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray for ourselves this morning. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We ask that you give us eyes to see, that we leave this gathering and this convocation, Lord, more in love with Jesus than when we started. That our service must, might be crisper and sharper. That our own persons would reflect the character of God more and more. Father, we pray that your word today, Father, will change us. That everything we've done, we've done so far in this gathering, Father, would, you would use and implement to sculpt us and to change us into your image. And so we submit to the authority of the word this morning, and I ask for your help, Lord, Holy Spirit, to articulate divine things through my clay lips. I ask for your help in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. We are uh, f- finishing the book of Jonah. We've had a lot of great teaching this weekend, and uh, it's kind of fascinating how the Lord has steered um, the word content because uh, we didn't have a meeting over it. We didn't consult one another. We didn't. Uh, we don't usually do that anyway, but uh, we just trust God that He'll say what He wants to say through our different personalities and. Through who we are. Can I have my two volunteers come up and join me up here on the right and get ready? Uh, we were doing the book of Jonah. I think I did it. When did I do it? Friday. Yeah. And uh, we covered books one and two, chapters one and two of the Book of Jonah. and we recognized that Jonah, a prophet of God, had become self-centered and selfish and arrogant. I know it's terrible to have to report this, but this is what happened to him. He allowed prejudice and vengeance to enter his heart. And he had forgotten how gracious God had been to him in salvation. And we saw that the Lord showed him mercy and sent a fish to rescue him and put him back on dry land. We discovered that Jonah's theology was correct about God being slow to anger and compassionate. But Jonah had a disconnect between his theology and his love for the lost until God delivered him. And then we saw that uh, the whale throwing him up on the beach was like a new birth. Uh, And I said all the things that associate a physical birth were right there, and he's swimming in all this muck and pulling seedweed from his face. He had surely been delivered. And for a moment there, Jonah, who had experienced uh, what one theologian calls exceptional mercy, I like that phrase, in the whale deliverance, um, he was grateful he was a changed man. He decided, I'm going to obey the word of the Lord, and I'm going to go to Nineveh. The problem is, if we look here, is what we see chapters 3 and 4 coming up here. We have to ask question: but has he changed? He's grateful, all right. And he decides to do the initial commission for which he's commissioned to do, go to Nineveh. But does he realize that his stubborn, willful rebellion to not go to Nineveh was deserving of death? If not for the Lord's mercy and compassion. Hi, Greg. Uh, Has Jonah learned the lesson that God has compassion and mercy not just for the covenant community, but for all the people, even of the wicked nations? Let's take a look at chapters three and four. Our volunteers reading chapter three, chapter four. Thank you, Zoe and Samuel.
1: Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in Bredith. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatness from the greatness of them greatest of them to the least of them the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne removed his robe covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything let them feed not f- eat not feed or drink water let but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth Sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God, God saw what they did, He, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it.
0: Thank you, Zoe. Chapter four. But it
2: is... The, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die Than to live. Then the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord had appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you do not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much
0: cattle? Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. You did a great job. Thank you. So, finally, the prophet, congratulations, decides to obey God, which he should have done in the first place. He finally goes. He's grateful for being delivered. When you read the account in Chapter 2, it's uh, an account of a horrible death. He's sinking down. He's recalling what happened to him. The seaweed wrapping around his face, the loss of consciousness when he begins to say, um, uh, I was fainting away. That literally means loss of consciousness. I remember the Lord. And the Lord sent a submarine-like fish, be it a whale or whatever, and uh, dove down where he was and scooped him up and saved him. And so he's grateful to the Lord. He ends his prayer that he composed in the belly of the fish. With this great phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord. But it just appears as if his own preaching hasn't pierced his own heart. He's grateful, all right. Yes, I'll be a hero and I will go for the Lord. Oh, congratulations for merely doing your duty. I applaud you. I remember when I ran a home group I would say, anybody have any testimonies? Just says, I have testimony. I didn't feel like coming. I was tired. I don't like Steve. I didn't want to come. All we have here is pizza and chips, and I didn't want to come. And, but I just said, Lord, I really need to be. Oh, congratulate. What a hero you are for making a decision to come to the home group. That's, anyhow, I pause. I should not have told you that. It was just on my mind. I thought, what kind of testimony is that? It's a way of saying you have a lousy home group I didn't want to come. All right. No doubt that Jonah was grateful to God for his own deliverance, but had nothing in his heart for anybody else. You would think he would have changed. I wrote down, does he realize that his stubborn, willful rebellion to not go to Nineveh was deserving of death? Remember earlier in the scriptures, God killed a prophet for not obeying him one time. Had him mauled. But if not for the Lord's mercy and compassion, so he, this guy has experienced enormous amounts of God's compassion and mercy, yet he doesn't have it in himself to give it away. Has Jonah learned the lesson that God has compassion and mercy not just for the covenant community, but also for all the peoples of the world that he has created. So he finally goes and we begin, he begin, finally delivers his message. Notice this, by the way, that God doesn't uh, reiterate that he's going to destroy Nineveh. He just says, I'll give you my message. So, and also understand, I'll take a little parenthesis here. As we read here, God doesn't change his mind. This is written for us to understand, okay? God always intended on sparing Nineveh. Are we clear on that? You can't, well, maybe if I pray today, I can alter God's mind. No, God's not a human that just flip-flops around. He's not like that, okay? He had already determined, but this is written for us to kind of understand a little bit, because how can we possibly understand the divine mind with our finite, fallen brains? We can't. I just wanted to say that so you didn't think that you could change God's mind because you can't. Your story's been written already. It's up to us to just obey the script. Okay. Uh, Yet 40 days his message is, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now it's interesting, the same word overthrown there is used for destruction in the passage concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. So, you can see what Jonah is anticipating and wanting to happen. And it says, and the people of Nineveh obeyed God. Now, they had a 40-day window to respond. And I'm not suggesting here because we don't have a timeline so much. It's more of a parabolic form here where we don't have all the nuances that we need. But it looks like a quick response in any case. Why didn't they ponder it for 39 days? Oh, okay. But it says they believed God. It didn't say they believed Jonah. These are pagan, non-covenantal people who are being far more sensitive to God's word than the prophet himself. They believed God. It doesn't say Jonah. And I... Couldn't help my mind going back. You know, Israel and Judah didn't respond as well as Nineveh when they were warned of the destruction coming their way. If you'll just turn to me, and they would not. Both in the ten tribes north and then with Judah in the south through uh, the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah and some of Daniel. But they didn't even respond to the word of God like Nineveh did. So, you see, we never know how ripe people's hearts are. We never know what God is doing in people's hearts. I'm suggesting to you that the Lord, by his spirit, had already gone ahead of Jonah and had already done something in the hearts of the people, at least perhaps questioning how they were behaving. These were murderous, brutal people. And the quickness of the response indicates to me that have you ever witnessed to somebody that's almost eager to get saved? You can say, what a great evangelist I am. I must really be anointed. No, I'm suggesting to you God had been at work in that individual for some time. I believe in Billy Graham's chain of salvation that he had probably had a number of encounters. And you just happened to be the one in my pray with him, for instance. You see what I'm saying? But we never know. And so it behooves us to talk to everybody all the time because we don't know at what progression they are in the salvific event. And so Jonah just scored here in a ministry sense. You know, it's a home run. This is something you brag about at the apostolic meetings. Well, I went to Nineveh and Wow, boy, here's what they did. It was fantastic. Wasn't I great? <laughs> but it's God who goes before you. And I'll just take a little parenthesis because I'm coming fresh back from Guatemala. Let me just tell you something. I'm sure Mike can attest to this too, and some of the brothers. There's a hunger out there. I, uh, I didn't have a moment's rest in Guatemala. Private meetings, one after the other, after the other. Pastors, elders, please help me. What are we doing? What's help me? What can we do? We've only got two official churches in Guatemala, and we had five gathered last Sunday for me, thousand people, and uh, they are relentless. They are pressing after God hard. The only place so I don't see it is here. But perhaps we can be the harbinger of that. Maybe we can change that. Amen. Hey, God did something here once in the 60s with this church. You walked in, a bunch of Catholics were babbling in tongues. What the heck was going on? Perhaps maybe setting us up for another one. Why not? Amen. Why not us? We have a history. Amen. Why can't we believe? I always say keep your eye on the Catholics. They're, they're the most spiritually sensitive of most anybody in this country. I'm sorry, but it's true. We get so theologically knotted up so time that we just forget the sensitivity we should have to God's will. Okay, I'm getting way off, but here we are. The king gets the word. Notice it goes to the people first. I think the author did it on purpose. Actually, I think the king. Now this is a city. It's not a king. It's more like a governor. But the word there translates king. There's no king of Nineveh. The king of Assyria see, but this is some kind of high official ruling guy, okay? The city's huge. It's like a a New York in the ancient times or a London. It's that big and important. And so I believe the king probably was met first and put the order out and then the people. However, the author reverses it, which is kind of fascinating just to see the hunger of the people and the desire of the people to respond, not just to the king, but to God's word. And so the king orders a proclamation. He himself changes out of his royal gear, puts on sackcloth, sits in ash. I don't even know what that's like, but um, no thanks, but praise the Lord, you know. Uh, but he sits down in a, in a mourning state and here's, this. Flip, this, flip me out. He orders the animals to fast and put on sackcloth. Come here, donkey. We've got to put a burlap bag on you. What's going on? I'm just trying to be a donkey here. What's the, the. Even the animals are cold to fast. But there's a reason for it that I'm going to surprise you with at the end. The, that, that's in the scriptures there. Fascinating stuff. But the king not only says, let's mourn, this is terrible that uh, we have displeased God, he says, let's change our ways, let's relent, let's turn away from the way we're behaving for how we're governing, for how we're treating one another, for how we're treating foreigners. Let's turn away from it that God might spare us. What an incredible sensitivity. It would be like New York getting this message and saying, en masse, we've been rude, we've been arrogant, we have the Mets and the Yankees, we've been terrible. (laughs) We think we rule the world. And we need to change. That would be the equivalent. Can you imagine such a thing? Well, God couldn't do anything. So they cry out to God, and what does God do? He spares the city of Nineveh from destruction. So chapter 3 is basically a recapitulation of chapter 1. You've got pagan sailors that are crying out to God, giving offerings, praying, thanking God for their preservation. And you've got a whole pagan city doing the same thing in one and three. And then in two and four, you've got this stubborn prophet who should be the most sensitive of all of them in the midst of this, not doing well. So what happens? Jonah, I wrote down here, the saved sinner should be glad to see others saved. Now, I have to give a little parentheses here as well. They didn't come to redemption in this story. They didn't come to faith. They didn't become covenantal. They were spared from destruction. And the Bible uses that word salvation for all those events being saved from death, just so you know. But Jonah, who should be the most grateful of all people for his own deliverance from death out of the the belly of the whale should be glad for other people to be sharing in this wonderful experience. But instead, we find him resenting having to share his covenantal privileges. He resents. So what does chapter 4 start off with? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. I'll tell you, when you go into the original Hebrew here, it's incredibly strong. He was really, really mad at God. It displeased him exceedingly. That's sort of a a polite way to say it. He may have been shaking his fist. He may have been cussing. He was so mad. So he makes, what does he do in verse 5? He makes a small hut for himself and sits outside the city, probably using binoculars from Walmart, (laughs) to watch the fireworks show of God against sin. Surely... These wicked, bad people who are doing wicked, bad things will meet, a, will meet a wicked, bad end. It just adds up. I can't wait to see how God's going to do this. It's going to be better than Sodom and Gomorrah. How disappointed he is when instead he finds the people repentant, turning to God and asking for forgiveness. Jonah cannot stomach Yahweh's cheapening of his mercy by offering it to all and sundry. Who does that remind you of in the Bible? A group of people, I think Stephen brought it up to us. Who does that remind you of in the Bible? Just like that. The Pharisees. This is our salvation. This is our God. This is our covenant. And how dare you? Implement it, or allow others to experience it. And Jesus, as you just like a Jonah, just waded right through them. Fascinating that Jesus identifies with this prophets, which kind of rescues his reputation a little bit, doesn't it? Thank God. After all, the the Ninevites deserved it. You know, I see that one church. I don't remember their name. It's probably a good thing I don't. They protest. Uh, all the bad things in the world, and they do it in a very, in a very aggressive and grievous way, you know, calling people names. I, you know, the, it's just a little Baptist church somewhere. I don't know what they do, but they go to soldiers' funerals and say you shouldn't have been killing people and do you know who I'm talking about? Listen, that's not the way of the Lord, okay? That's just not the spirit of Jesus. So don't appreciate that kind of attitude. That's a Jonah attitude. And God doesn't want us to have that attitude. Jonah, who praises the gracious mercy of God in chapter 2, it's a great prayer, turns around and deplores it in chapter 4. Apparently, God's gracious whale special delivery of Jonah has not changed. He still has a hard heart for the lost. He hasn't captured God's heart. Good theology, no compassion. Jonah doesn't want God's mercy to be universal. It should only be for Israel, the covenant people. How dare God spread this out as if there's not going to be enough for me. Selfish and greedy and holding it to himself. Psalm 145 verse 9, Yahweh is good to all and his compassion extends to all creatures. Jonah decides to be God's theological advisor. And in chapter four, uh, the use of I, capital I, not I, and my, M-Y, occurs nine times from Jonah in chapter four. What's he thinking of? He's only thinking of Jonah. He's not thinking of God. He's not thinking of God's purposes. He's not thinking of God's heart and compassion for the rest of the world. He's only thinking about Jonah and he's so mad and the standoff is so strong and his rebellion is so dug in that he'd rather die than see God go through with this situation. He says to the Lord, uh, if you won't kill them, kill me. Remember I told you in chapter, when we did chapters one and two, that the dying thing John Calvin says quite wisely, I think, it's a way of quitting God's service. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I don't want to represent you anymore. Your theology's bad. You know what they deserve. You won't deliver. And I want out of this business. I've tried to believe. I've tried to change my heart. I've tried to think like you, but enough's enough. I mean, any rational person can see this is what should happen. But you, you, look what you've done. That's why I ran. Because you're this kind of God. He knows. His theology is good. He got an A in that class. And yet somehow it hasn't made it from his head to his heart. We can't be this kind of people. Jonah cannot accept that non-Israelites should be forgiven too. Listen to a small quote from my dissertation subject from 1858. His name is Benjamin Morgan Palmer. He says this concerning Jonah Praise has given way to disgust and despair as Jonah contemplates others enjoying honey from the Jewish hive. <laughs> they could talk pretty good back then, couldn't they? We're kind of rough now, but how about that? He, he didn't want to share the honey. My, my, my Jesus, it's, it's my covenant. You filthy people. You have no, you're not deserving of this. And you were. See, that's the question to Jonah. Even in the second episode of rebellion, God does not condemn Jonah, but reasons with him. What mercy this man is experiencing. If anybody should be crushed in this story, it's Jonah. And yet, God just reasons with him, And we get to Joseph's, excuse me, Jonah's famous plant. I say Jonah's plant, he didn't have anything to do with it. It's actually God's plant. The little margin of the Bible says Jonah's plant never was his plant. And that's part of the tale here. Now we have the word appointed is employed three times in this short passage in chapter 4. Again, emphasizing God's sovereignty and God's dominance and God's providence over all things. Jonah's shelter was not sufficient, so God appointed a plant to once again deliver the prophet. Maybe God's thinking he'll break through. Maybe you will get the message. This kindness, this gentleness, this goodness, this graciousness is coming your way. I want to give that away to all peoples, and I want you to proclaim that. And you know the story. A worm is appointed to destroy the plant. Jonah is angry again. Sun and wind make him even more angry. Look at 4 9. This is kills me, 4-9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Listen to this response. Where has this guy slipped? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. It's like a little child saying, I'm leaving, I'm running away from home. Oh, where are you going? I don't know, but away from you and, and you know, give me some bananas or something somewhere on a journey, you know. He's saying this like to God, you know. I'm thinking the leave a beaver <laughs> circling the neighborhood remember. I'm sorry. St- stupid brain. Anyway, Warden knew, ward knew. Don't worry, June, he'll come home. I'm sure not, there's a beaver. Is it dinner time? But the point is, God is so amazingly gracious to this man. Listen, God would have every right to take his big thumb and just go, you know what, that's enough. I've heard enough of you. He'd have every right to do that. And yet he spares this man. I think it's to emphasize the strength of the message that God wants us to have his compassion for all peoples, all creatures, all things in order to deliver a message of good news. Here's how I figured this out, okay? This is Steve. You just bear with me. I could be right, I could be wrong. I don't know, but I wrote this down. Here's what I think, do you do well to be angry means. Ready? Jonah, you can change from pleasure about a plant to anger overnight about a plant for which you had nothing to do with, but I, God, Can't change my mind about the Ninevites that I created? You see that? Oh, it's okay for you to change, but you're not allowing me to relent from disaster? And so, you see, realize that the story doesn't end because it's written for us to be asking these very questions of ourselves in terms of staying on track with God's mission. The God of the sea who can appoint a fish to swallow Jonah is also the God of the earth and its plants and its insects. Verse 10, Jonah pities the plant, but not the Ninevites. Three times in this story, pagans have desired that no one perish. Jonah only once, and it was for a plant that he had nothing to do with. So God has set us up through the prophet. He's using this poor man as an illustration to us of where the human heart can go when it doesn't stay quorum deo before the face of God. This prophet had grown stale. This prophet was just happy to deliver a message and, you know, good for them, glad they're gone. They deserve it. And didn't want to long suffer with the message of good news. In Jonah chapter 4, um, do I have time? Eesh, I'm out of time. I, I'm going to do this anyhow because this is, this is really helpful. In Jonah chapter 4, up until, uh, up until chapter 4, God's name in the first three chapters is Yahweh. You've got to go back to the Hebrew for this, okay? He's known as Yahweh, Yahweh. It's always Yahweh, okay? Yahweh always connotes the special relationship God has with Israel, it's a covenantal name that he's given Israel, okay? But in chapter 4, the name of God when you see God there, it's not Yahweh anymore. It's the word from Genesis 1, Elohim. Because God wants Jonah to understand while he's dying, though he is the exclusive God of Jonah and of Israel by covenant. He also remains the creator and sustainer of all things. Isn't that powerful? You can't see that in our translations until you actually have to dig. But God, the name of God changes there on purpose to say, I'm presenting myself to you as the creator and sustainer of all things, not as your covenant personal get you, you fall in love with me, God. This is the God who... Far above all principalities and powers in every name. This is the God who we fear and we revere. And, you know, oh, but I want to hug him. Well, not now, okay? Uh, Not now. Your posture is to bow down and to obey. We can't ever lose that. We can never get familiar with God. So familiar that we no longer have his heartbeat and know what he wants and his purposes. Because, friends, we're servants. We're slaves. We're chained to God. We're prisoners of the Lord. Who do, you, who do we think we are? That I can make my own decisions and do whatever I want? And, no, you, you can't. You must also always consult your king because he owns everything. Okay. God wants Jonah to understand that he is not to be exclusive in relationship to him. You've got to allow him. You've got to free God. You've got to allow God To be God, not only in your own situations, but whatever he wants to do in the world. How many of us have said to the TV set, you know, and I'll switch, I'll say something personal. Uh, When I started first going to India several years ago now, Paul Barker and I went for the first time to visit Rajiv. I was on the plane with Paul and I said, you know what, I don't think I want to get involved in this country. He said, why not? I said, "I, I think God should just blow it up and start over. If you've been, you might not, you probably would agree with me. It's awful. It's filth. It's six million gods, idols everywhere, shrines on the side of the road. People are amassed, what, 1% Christians. It just looks so dire and so hopeless. And God challenged my own attitude like Jonah. I was Jonah. God said, so who do you think you are? I didn't ask you to evaluate my world. I didn't ask you to be the judge of whether it was good or bad. I'm sending you to bring healing. But Lord, the task is, I didn't ask you to evaluate the task. Or weigh up what I should or shouldn't do. You just go and do what I tell you to do. I want those people loved. I want them healed. I'm going to turn the whole country around. And it's none of your business how I'm going to do it or when I'm going to do it. You just do your job. It might be 10,000 years yet. Can you deal with that? Or you got dispensationalist smoking guns in you? We just need to do our part, folks. Jonah was only called on to do his task. He wasn't called on to give God theological lessons or opinions about how it should be done or not be done. Just do. Just go and do good things. Go and do and help people. Go and bring healing everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. And see, that's why the animals were in sackcloth because the emphasis there was on creation. You know, God's going to save all the animals. Romans 8, read it. Troy, that's where we are, right? We're, we're, oh, I guess we finished with Romans 8. We're going for Romans 9. But we saw in Romans 8, God's got a plan for the whole planet. I like one theologian. I stole this little phrase from him. Oh, golly, I lose his name now. You would probably recognize it. Uh, Eldon Lad. He uses, nah, yeah, Eldon Lad. He uses this expression. He says, uh, uh, so, um, salvation is creation healed salvation is creation healed there's enough power in the gospel to heal everything <laughs> and that's the gospel we're told to project we're told to announce we're told to declare God is sovereignly free to use whales, storms, seas, sailors, boat captains, prophets, wicked people, wicked kings, plants, insects, sun, wind, and everything he created to further his purposes. Jonah's required to stop being a Pharisee in his tiny little religious world and start being a real prophet who doesn't argue with Yahweh or counsel him with human pamphlet theology. Imagine telling God about your theology. What? I wrote it. Yeah, well, have you considered this, God? Oh, boy, who do we think we are one more time? But God says to Jonah, come, know my huge universe-filling heart for the whole world. Have the heart ready of a devoted gardener. This is exactly what I am not. I'm the opposite. I'm not even a casual gardener. I don't even want to know. All right, But if you've ever seen a devoted gardener, all hours, it doesn't matter if it's 110 degrees, they do everything they can to see that little plant. I just go on and buy them at Deerberg's. I don't care how it comes up. I don't care <laughs> what you do to the soil. I don't care. I try to show care with Molly, but I don't understand it. Let's just cut it all down. And Anyway, I don't have any of that in me. Green thumb, I don't even have thumbs. (laughs) But God's here, the devoted gardener. I planted those people. I created those people. I created those beasts. I created the earth they live on, the air they breathe, the water they drink. I created it all. So don't tell me, God how to govern my universe, or I can't do whatever I want with whatever I want to do. Don't, Please don't enter into that hardness of heart. Just do what I command you to do. God says to Jonah, I am sovereign, you are not. And he says this, and this is where Paul gets it. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will harden whoever I will harden. It's none of your business. So I'm going to close now. Thanks for giving me a couple extra minutes. Here's Jonah's mistakes. Let's not repeat them. Smug prejudice. Empty religion devoid of heart. I can't wait for Christmas. I love Christmas. And we always watch the Grinch with that tiny little heart, you know, and then it breaks out and everything. Don't have that Grinch kind of heart. Don't do it. And if you've come to this conference and that's what you are, we're going to pray in a minute for the Holy Spirit. Let's let your heart start to pump again. With God's blood through your veins, for God's vision for the world, start to pump. You know, Ezra, who is he? Why is he in this? It's probably his own fault. Here's ten bucks. You know, come on, people, let's let's embrace. Let's ah, I'll stop. But the third thing, let's not have possessiveness of Yahweh. You know, the one of the phrases I can't stand is the word personal savior. You know, nowhere in the Bible. That's an Americanism. You know, the Western world never uses that phrase. He's our personal Savior. Like he's in a category or something. Like you got him in a lockbox. ain't personal. You're my personal Savior. It's God Almighty. You have no claim to him. He has claim to you, but you have no claim to him. Again, big question we ask, who do we think we are? well, wow, I'm really doing well. Do you realize he could flick you off of his finger like that if he wanted to? He won't. Because of his covenant faithfulness. But don't possess him. Give him away. So here we go, finishing. I, should, I put down here, we should be our theology. Yeah, that's good. We, can, we know the Hebrew word for compassion. We know how to spell compassion. We know how to trace it all through the Old and New Testament. But God wants us to have it. God is a God of compassion for all living things. Am I like him in his compassion? If not, get on your knees until something happens. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Are you ready? Do you, I have my moments with my pet, Samson, 120, 340 pound dog. I have my moments, I agree with you. But you know, a man is measured in the Bible by how he treats animals. Do you just brush these things off? Do you just are they in your way or inconvenient? It's all about you. I'm not saying you have to have pets. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what's your attitude? Right. I've grown up with a handicapped sister all my life. Some people are really kind to hold doors for you, but the vast majority of people are, like, you in my way. Can, can you move a little faster? Don't. Be like them. Don't be like Jonah. Don't run away from, like Jonah did into family, business, pleasure, sports, entertainment. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Number two, seek first the kingdom of God. First, actually that word in the Greek, first, doesn't mean in numerical order. It means first and only. That's what we're designed for, the kingdom of God, not for the United States of America, And it's betterment, not for anybody else, not for anything else. We're designed for the kingdom of God. Number three, tell everybody all the time good news. You don't have a message of destruction like Jonah. Don't wait for God's going to raise up somebody in New York. You're going to be destroyed. Stop it. We're in the new covenant now. God's fully revealed himself. We even have the story in the Old Testament of Jonah. Jonah. And we're still waiting for God to destroy these wicked people. Get all that smoking stuff out of you and start to be like Jesus. What if he wants to heal the whole world? I think that's what he wants to do. You're nuts. Much quicker, just destroy it, get rid of it, and we'll reconstruct it. No, I don't think so. I think God's smarter than that. It's too easy for God. He says, you give me a messed up person in the third world country. Poverty stricken, no hope. You teach him the word of God. You teach him how to live for God. Like an Ezron, like all of our brothers, this is who they were. We brought them here. One guy was afraid to put his hands into the spig, He never saw what running water before. And God's got these guys busting up the whole nation of Africa. Tell everybody the good news. We're not called to bring the bad news. God's gonna smash you if you don't respond. No, let's tell them the good news. That you don't have to live in bondage. That something's been done for you. Well, what if they're not the elect? I don't know who they are, so I'm gonna tell everybody. I'm not God. Well, God will always save the elect. Okay, well then we're guaranteed salvation. (laughs) But we don't know who the elect is, so we don't... Well, I'm not sure. He certainly can't because look at his lifestyle. Are you kidding me? You were ten times worse, Jonah. Don't make judgments like that. Reach out to everybody with the good news. I don't care what their state. Cantankerous, chain smoker, well, there's no hope for him. Are you joking? There was no hope for you. There was no hope for Jonah. Let's face these things. We have been born of miracles. Tell them they don't need to go to destruction, but to turn to Jesus and they'll know righteousness, peace and joy. Our motivation to go, our motivation to embark and our motivation to get out of ourselves and get into the kingdom of God and its expansion is not duty, it's grace that we remember what happened for us and we're so in love with Jesus that I have to, I'm compelled to tell you, it doesn't matter if you blow smoke in your face or spit at me or grimace, it doesn't matter to me. I want you to know, I can't hold it in. It's like a fire that burns in my bones. That's a real prophet. If Jonah could only have confessed that. So in closing, Don't be Jonah, be Jesus. Return to your first love. Let's all stand. I know I've kept you over. Thank you for the extra couple minutes. I'm sorry, but after all, it was a convocation. We can just stretch it a little bit here. But thanks for your patience. Thanks for coming this weekend. Troy, great to see you guys. Thanks a lot for coming out this morning. We love you. Yeah. The church in Troy knows that when I close a meeting, I'm old school. I'm sorry. I've got to go to the antique file. I've got to go into the archives. Let's sing this song that we all knew at one time. Many of us did anyway. And if you don't know it, let me introduce you to this true prophet. I think he was a prophet who wrote this song. His name is Keith Green. And let's sing it together. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. Keep up with me. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Let's let this be our prayer as we close. Oh Lord, please light the fire. Please, Lord. THAT ONCE BURNED BRIGHT AND CLEAR REPLACE THE LAMP OF MY FIRST LOVE THAT BURNS WITH HOPE SPIRIT OF THE LIVING GOD Fall afresh on me, Spirit of the Living God. Fall afresh on me, Melody. mold me, fill me. fresh on me just stand still for a moment while God answers that prayer just stand still just open your mouth and start praising him, say thank you Jesus just receive his infusion of fresh grace receive his new mantle of proclamation and declaration receive that new divine energy to run with the gospel to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah, Father, we receive. Just open your mouth, tell me you love him. We love you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. We give you thanks. Hallelujah. Now receive this prayer. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for my covenant friends. I pray in the name of Jesus, even for myself, that, Lord, you will kindle of fire that cannot be extinguished Lord that's truly of you that is not manufactured by music or by men or by promotion but it comes from you and you alone through your servants and through your word Lord bring us back to the Bible bring us back to the Holy Spirit bring us back to an intense love for Jesus that drives every factor of our life toward you. We give you thanks for answering this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.